Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows LIDE presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutner. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for listening once again. I'm Hi C, and this is Revolution. And I am joined as normal for our beginning segment, the roundtable discussion, by my co-hosts, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Good morning. And John Caracella. Good morning. And today I thought that we would have a bit of a discussion around a topic that I saw on a blog post by Leo Bab, um, Babauta, I always have to make sure I say that right, uh, and he was making a post regarding the idea of how we are almost constantly comparing ourselves to others, oftentimes without even realizing it because we're doing it when we are using or looking at or engaging in many of the tools and technologies that we tend to think of as just an everyday part of our life rather than something that might be creating a tendency towards comparison. So one of the examples that he gave was Instagram and that, you know, we don't think anything about looking at Instagram daily and seeing the pictures that people have posted because we think of them as our friends or just people that we think are interesting to follow. And yet he brings up the idea that when we do that, we're just constantly barraged by these moments of people in uh, happy moments, people in excited moments, you know, and so we subconsciously can start to think about, well, my, my life isn't as exciting as that person's or, wow, that person's life is a party all the time. Where's my party? And that can start to to wear on us in the sense of starting to feel as if we are perhaps inadequate in some way or we start comparing our life to the way other people's life appears to us on the surface and then thinking that somehow that is better and there is either something missing or wrong with us or our life as a result because we think that our life should be just as glamorous, just as exciting, just as interesting. And so I wanted to put this out to my esteemed co-hosts and see what what do they think in the in the sense of what ways do we tend to perhaps fall into even without realizing it a tendency towards comparing ourselves to other people and perhaps that subconsciously or very subtly is affecting us in a way of making us feel less than Hi, see, I think this is a really good topic, and I love your questions. And the first thing that came to me when you were talking about comparing ourselves to others is very strongly it came to me that we don't know the whole story about others. We don't know what they're going through or what's in their heart. So when we look at someone and we compare ourselves to them, we are comparing ourselves to an incomplete equation. And I'll give you an example. 
that I lived through personally, when I was in university, there was this girl that would be in my class, and my heavens, didn't she have it all? She looked wonderful. She had a fabulous personality. She aced all her courses. She went on wonderful vacations. She had a stunning boyfriend. She had fabulous parents. Everyone would look at her and say, or mostly everyone, she has it all. What we didn't know is that a night after we had been out with her, she went home and put herself in the garage, turned the car on, and committed suicide. So obviously, and I know that's an extreme example, but that had a profound impact in my life, and it taught me a great lesson in terms of comparing myself and my life to other people, because there's often different degrees of life going on behind the closed door. And everybody could relate to perhaps the great couple who seem to be getting along fabulously, and all of a sudden you hear they're no longer together. Or on the positive side, you could feel very sad for maybe you're on a vacation and people are cleaning your room from a different culture and it's a culture that is not as materialistic as the North American culture and you feel sad for them because they don't have all this material stuff. But lo and behold, you wake up one morning and you can hear a person in the next room cleaning the room singing and singing beautiful songs, and you realize they have a wonderful life. So that's what I'd like to say. That's my offering. Mm, yeah, I, that resonates with me too, Mildred Lynn. Um, the idea that we are really, com- we compare ourselves to projections, right? Uh, we look at the, the high points in someone else's life and compare them to the complete knowledge we have of our own. And that's not a that's not a realistic comparison. We don't see uh the suffering necessarily that uh is going on in someone else's life. And I think that's also true too that internally, you know, we we aren't always so clear about what we really have, right? What we're really experiencing. And so that's a projection too. We have we have an internal projection of who we are. And you know, and the the thing that that came to me uh, keying, keying off of this question was gratitude. Gratitude is the way I have found to avoid judging and comparing. If I find, if I see something beautiful that is someone that someone else is experiencing, I will choose to to feel a kind of gratitude for their joy. And that also encourages me to feel gratitude for my own experiences, even, you know, and dig deep for them if I'm if I'm kind of in a funk, right? If I feel like, well, my life is really isn't so great. Uh, the opportunity exists for me to find something around which or for which I can be grateful. And then it starts to open up more accurately, I guess I would say, more completely, Instead of having this projection of, well, I don't have what they have, I get to a place where, well, I have all these things that are really quite wonderful. Uh, Simple things, perhaps, but uh, it's in the gratitude that I can relieve the inclination to judge. And I think that 
it's important when we see a picture on Instagram, a 140-character tweet, a status update on Facebook, to really recognize that's that's a that's a moment in that person's life, and we're looking at that moment as if it's representative of their whole life, and then we start thinking that our whole life is somehow lesser than. But I bet we could step back and say, oh, but wait, I could take a snapshot of a moment in my day or in my life that would be just as happy or interesting or whatever as this person's particular moment. And I think that that's the tendency we tend to have perhaps is that we take one little thing and we blow it up to be the representation rather than recognizing it as the one little moment that it is and then losing sight of our own moments. Yeah, well, I think that's the, the it's the our own moments that actually um, seeing these things. If you can bring to mind that you have these moments too, then you have an opportunity to be just as delighted with your own life as you might think the other person is delighted based on their Instagram profiles. Right. I, I saw something uh, posted on Facebook today, actually, um, and it was a quote. Uh, well, it's a quote by Abraham, and I'm not sure if that is someone who channels somebody named Abraham or if that's Abraham Hicks. Um, but the the quote said, the first thing in the morning, find a particle of something to appreciate and hold your attention on it for 17 seconds. Hmm. And, you know, I would say not to just do that in the morning, but at any moment, if we're feeling less than, unworthy of, if we feel as if we're getting stuck in that comparison mode, then take a, take 17 seconds to stop and just focus on a moment in your own life when you felt just as happy as what you're projecting onto that picture on Instagram or onto that status right. update on Facebook. Yeah. And if we stop and do that on a regular basis, we will start to see we have many of those moments that when we start piecing them together actually can be more representational of something that we're projecting onto that single image or update and perhaps not feel so less than or unworthy or um, just not fall into such negative comparison. So would either of you have any, have a suggestion for people that they could do like that to step away from or to stop the habit and break the cycle of comparison and start to shift it around so that we don't become a victim of it, even when we're a victim of our own making. Well, I, th I think um, for, for me, uh, it's the, again, it's this gratitude moment. And if you say, okay, so, so let's say, let's say you experience, or you encounter something. Um, let's let it be a, uh, a photograph that is, evoked or that you see on Instagram that, that makes you um, compare yourself. Uh, I would, at that point, I would say, okay, so let me be grateful for, let me, let me have gratitude for the experience of this person, right? That they are experiencing something this rich. And then I would say, okay, and what in my life can I find that is, it doesn't have to be as big. It just has to be, have a flavor of what I just projected onto that picture. Right. If it's a, if it's a picture of uh, a family having a picnic, right, having fun, and you feel like you don't have family, you don't have friends. What else is it about that picnic? Is it that it's out in nature? 
is it that it's in uh, an environment with uh, with you know a convivial environment with lots of other people having fun, and just reflect back into those places in your own life where you can get that kind of feeling, where you can be grateful for that kind of uh, interaction with the world, and see if you can conjure that same feeling in yourself as you're projecting on the picture. And if not, at least something positive, right? So it's just a just a, a key. Use the picture or the stimulus as a key to trigger your gratitude search in whatever way that works. That's how I would do it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good way to look at that, John. For me, when I thought about what HiC had invited us to talk about was to go back a, a little bit and realize that as we walk the earth, we are subject to a lot of external voices, and a lot of those voices promote competition with each other, whether it's about work or money or status or the celebrity culture. And when you look at this, this is really designed to make you feel less than. So we have that all around us, just like popcorn popping in a pot, all these messages all around us. And it's important to understand, at least I feel it's important to understand, is that this is usually accepted as truth because it's so common. It's a mm-hmm. commodity, but it really isn't truth. <laughs> In my opinion, anyway, and other people's opinion, too. And But it is what we choose to expose ourselves to each day. So one thing that I would suggest for our listeners, and I've done this myself, and I, I know other people do this also, is to be more careful about what you choose to expose yourself to. Because what you'll notice is if you start cutting off this energy, this non-life supporting energy of competition in areas of work or money or celebrity or status or Instagram photos, wonderful life, is that other stuff starts to fill those spaces. Mm. And when the other stuff starts to fill the spaces, it gives your soul a chance to breathe. And to your, your point of gratitude, John, gratitude starts coming in. You'll notice that your lens starts to shift. This is great, Mildred Lynn. This is great advice. Oh, oh, thanks. So you're, it's, it's the voice of experience. So your lens starts to shift. And from that lens, you start to stop comparing yourself to anybody and starting to value and appreciate yourself and life, the life that you've given. And the second thing, and I also, this is also the voice of experience, my lens became larger when I realized, and this is my personal belief, that I am one aspect of my soul that has chosen to walk the earth in this space and time. Now, other aspects of me may have chosen to walk the earth in other spaces and time, but what that does is it lets you go into yourself and ask the question, what did I come here to experience? So using myself as an example, I know deep down I came to experience the theme of exploration. So once you own that, and you'll notice that you're not comparing yourself to anybody else, you start to create a life for yourself around that theme or many themes, but it's all coming from your, your soul. And that's what I'd like to offer people. With that, I will now follow John's advice and express my gratitude to both of you. (laughs) 
and then this will be my Instagram moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really wish I had thought of what Mildred Lynn said. Man, my life sucks. <laughs> I wish I had high C's voice. <laughs> Well, but I will express my gratitude for being willing to have this conversation and just to see where it takes us. And hopefully for anyone listening, it might also prompt them to simply think about how even in subtle ways or through just the things that we think of as every day, which may be our habits or the things that we're just used to taking in that we don't think of in in such a way, how we may fall into that trap of comparison just through, like Mildred was saying, what it is that we expose ourselves to on a regular basis, perhaps on too much uh, of the time, rather than being more selective and and more of a curator of our own life's exposures. Uh, So thank you very much to Mildred Lynn McDonald. My pleasure. And to John Carousella. Thank you, Heisey. And stay tuned for the rest of the show. Just a reminder, if you'd like a a reading during the show towards the latter part of the show, you can either Skype in or call 646-716-5510 to get into the queue. And I encourage you to keep listening, keep an open mind, and we'll be right back. Walking down brick lane, seas and blue, winds blowing lightly, and I picture you. Sweet Sunday morning, nothing to do. Love is like a dream when it's just me and you. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Enjoy the show.
At Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest. Or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Revolution with host Ticey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Welcome to October, the season of transition from Virgo to Libra, when the virgin becomes the lover. Appropriately, the sky seems to concur, it being a month of Venusian energies in that all of the major aspects defining the month involve Venus in some form or another. And now for an allegory. The Six of Swords in the Tarot deck, also known as the Lord of Science, represents the moment of integration, recovery, and rest that follows a period of great activity, chaos, and unrelenting change. Much of October will have this feel as the aspect patterns show relatively smooth sailing with a few bumps due to a Venus-Pluto square mid-month and a disruptive Venus-Uranus opposition also mid-month. That said, these aspects usually actually prove to be beneficial as they provide selective pressure for many of us receptive to them to begin operating at a higher level of complexity. Interesting to note that chaotic attractors in nature serve this function as well, which is to say that disruptive elements, such as viruses, have the inadvertent effect of providing selective pressure to move systems into higher states of complex functioning. Call it the upside of evolutionary pressures. It looks like, for a time, in the long arc of the Uranus-Pluto square years, that we are getting a reprieve, 
a month of relative calm. I would like to say it is the calm after the storm, but it is more accurately the eye of the hurricane, that still point inside the swirling chaos called the eye wall. These are challenging times that collectively we find ourselves in. That said, far more entertaining to live through pivotal times than it is to live through live in ones of ease when not much happens and no evolution occurs. We are in an era of creative chaos, a period of reintegration, and we won't see this calm down until sometime in the 22nd century due to a number of converging crises. October will begin gentle enough and then progress towards an unstable, surprising evolutionary sense with a cluster of Venus contacts involving the big planets, namely a square with Pluto, an opposition with Uranus, and finally a sextile with Jupiter. And the latter always promises the feel of big love, even if it can seem to get out of hand. What is unique is how each of these contacts initiate within two days of each other, so it will be an interesting balancing act, and being the season of Libra, equilibrium is the theme. Alas, Libra rarely ever attains true homeostasis. Like nature, it can only ever approach the state as it attempts to balance its own equation. October 8th, we will see the Venus square Pluto, intensifying interpersonal pressures and the crisis of integration, followed by, three days later on October 11th, a Venus opposition Uranus, which will see unusual attractions and the conflict between intimacy and autonomy. And then on October 14th, we will see the Venus sextile with Jupiter. Big love and a new chance at global integration. If it seems like there's an imperceptible crackle and electricity in the air, these three contacts will be partially why. It is it also is the fact that our world is currently a tinderbox and our species is at an existential crossroads. To add to that crackling live wire is the influence of Pluto, which adds intensity and compression, highlighted by the expansive scope of Jupiter, which always goes one way or another. It can bring expansion and growth, but Jupiter also brings excess and malignancy. The square with Pluto is the first major to pay attention to as it reflects an ongoing issue that plagues our interconnected world. It is one of collective apathy, reflective of an individualistic culture that states that what happens halfway across the world is of no self-interest. The example to which I refer to is the ongoing Ebola epidemic in Central Africa. It has been stated in a number of sources that if more is not done in the way of international cooperation and funding for public health infrastructure, then the Ebola virus will continue its rampage and will not be able to be contained for many more months, perhaps stretching into years. A Venus-Pluto square presents a perfect evolutionary condition to begin to address this. Pluto, in the form of the Ebola virus, as Pluto is said to rule viruses, will continue its destructive transformation of Central Africa until the world learns to relate in a more interconnected and coordinated way, which is Venus, our capacity for connection, to stem the tide of the epidemic and begin to bring these developing nations into a higher state of complexity, which is to say, economic and social parity to the developed nations. We are interconnected and embedded and implicated in each other's lives for good or for ill, whether we like it or not. 
It is simply a fact of reality in the universe we find ourselves in. We are also playing a much bigger zero-sum game in which we are becoming, or sorry, a much bigger non-zero-sum game in which we are becoming a planetized society, and as such, we must begin to act as such and increase the scope of self-interest to include the issues of the developing world as they will soon become our issues, especially as it pertains to epidemics. This illustrates that what we fail to do for the developing world will have major impacts for the developed world through the exponential growth of contagion. This aspect pattern is our palimpsest reminding us that we have many things at our disposal to address this ongoing crisis and turn the tide. In essence, we can evolve our Venusian function to a higher level, which the patterns reflected in the inner sky are attempting to compel us to do. We can stop the destruction this epidemic is causing by moving into our depths and realizing our inextricable link to each other. We can use our technology and genius to find novel treatments, vaccines, and possibly cure to this viral disease, and also to improve the infrastructure that will prevent another crisis like this from emerging. The issue will not go away. What you resist persists, as Jupiter will magnify its impact until it becomes so intense that we are forced by necessity to properly address this issue. It will continue to spatter the news media, possibly amplified by the Mercury-Jupiter sextile 12 days out from the initial square aspect, and won't abate until it's addressed. This rather intense metaphor is used to illustrate the importance of addressing these connection issues and to make clear that we are a unit. We are a singular world, and we must, if we would like a future, begin to act as such. These transits are further colored in perception by the enveloping Mercury retrograde period lasting from October 4th through October 26th and transiting through the ultimate sign of diplomacy, Virgo to Libra. With this undercurrent presence, careful diplomacy and being the voice of reason are capacities highlighted during this type of transit. Attention to detail and reviewing all communications before proceeding become extremely important. A continuation of the Venus theme for October is present as the retrograde occurs through a Venus-ruled sign towards the end of it and a Mercury-ruled sign towards the beginning, and one in particular having to do with international diplomacy and social justice, as these are areas covered under Libra's purview, and attention to detail falling under the Virgo influence. Words are best chosen carefully to avoid misunderstandings. The media would do well to fact-check before broadcasting anything to prevent mass hysteria and miscommunication. This doesn't seem likely, as hysteria tends to sell media products. Fair and equal and careful review become the modus operandi under this retrograde period. In furthering the theme of connection in global society, this again becomes the on-ramp for reviewing carefully exactly the kinds of international policies we do have and how we are assisting other developing nations in raising their standard of living. It seems almost like a cosmic invitation to act in a new way to genuinely offer beneficial assistance. It has to be said that what we do for another, we are truly doing for ourselves, as reciprocity is the rule rather than the exception. The final transitive note that continues the strong Venusian themes of the month is a solar eclipse on October 23rd, which coincides with three days before Mercury stations direct. 
To add firepower to the mix is a close conjunction between the Sun and Venus, both in Virgo Libra. Eclipses are intense times as they signal transition, usually from one state of being to another. Generally, the symbolism has always been that the ruler is eclipsed by the common people, as the sun is the symbol of the ruler and the moon the common people. Perhaps this is the moment when the people on the ground can pull upon those in leadership positions to begin to act on behalf of the people's well-being. Another interesting aspect to keep in mind is the closeness of the conjunction. Normally, it would put Venus combust, but in this case, because it is a three-degree orb, it places her Kazemi, which is to say Venus is sitting in the ruler's seat. Love and connection is extremely powerful here. It begs the question that love could be a guiding force in, in the world and its miraculous properties could become how the world organizes itself. Being in Libra and Virgo, the themes of social justice are reinforced in a big way, not to mention a thorough criticality coming from the Virgo influence. It's like Venus is center stage with a single spotlight on her and she is making her firebrand speech to the masses, calling on compassion, mercy, and justice in the human heart. Fellow space cadets, that concludes my October report. Apologies for focusing less on personal perspectives, but as it goes, the personal is political and what happens globally now more than any at any other time in our history affects the personal. I will see you all next month. Be sure to read my blog at flyingpunkrockunicorn.wordpress.com. That address again is flyingpunkrockunicorn.wordpress.com. Also, be sure to check out my page on Facebook at Prometheus the Astrologer. And be sure to check out my tab at thesidrealist.com under Prometheus. Tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact Hi C at tarotbyhic.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com.
my revolutionary guest this month is psychic, intuitive, seer, and tarot reader Nancy Antonucci. Nancy, or Nooch, balances fun, passion, and seriousness that challenges limiting narratives for mythic potentials through the visible imagery of symbols and the invisible energy of the creative unknown. She has seen, communicated, and worked with the spirits, energies, and entities from the other side for all of her life and reads energy by finding patterns. In her first profession, as a choreographer, she designed patterns with rhythms and bodies by listening carefully to her muse and music. As a seer, she uses these same skills to read the patterns that a person is creating with their energy. Nooch is literally a mover and shaker in the Tarot world. In addition to her own practice of reading and teaching, she presents, performs, and assists in producing various Tarot conferences, including the International Reader's Studio in New York, BATS for the Bay Area Tarot Symposium in San Francisco, and her own Twin Cities North Star in Minneapolis. Creativity and curiosity were the guiding forces in her self-directed journey of learning the language of Tarot. From this personal foundation, her teaching and reading style makes her a creativity advocate and is based on the belief that each of us have an inherent ability to dialogue with the creative unknown. You can find out more about Nooch and her work by visiting her website at www.betweenworlds.com. So please join me in welcoming to the show today, psychic, intuitive, seer, and revolutionary guest, Nancy Antonucci. Nancy Antonucci, thank you very much for joining me here today. It is certainly a pleasure to be able to welcome you. Oh, thank you. And you can you can call me Nooch. So I think the, the first thing that I would perhaps like to start off with is letting people hear just a little bit of your background of you're a, a psychic, you're an intuitive, you're a seer, you're a tarot reader. So what is it that has brought you on that path to having those titles or seeing yourself and presenting yourself that way? Um, let's see. Uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm almost 57 years old. So I think at this point, I finally realized just, you know, what I came into, came onto the planet with. So a lot of the seer and the intuitive, those titles themselves, it took me years and years to give myself permission um, to to really see those skills or gifts within myself. I think they're in everyone, um, but uh, to really kind of keep that as a major focus or a clean focus, that took a lot of years to just not care what people thought. I initially was a dancer uh, for the first half of my life. I was a professional dancer, so I was always surrounded by uh, storytellers and, you know, ballet by its nature is all about myths and fairy tales and so enacting or incarnating stories 
was the first half of my life. And the second half is a little bit of that and a whole lot about talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I am still walking the walk, but I'm talking a lot more talk. (laughs) (laughs) But I've always been, you know, honestly, if you put me... If I had a birthday and I was in a padded cell, which I think in another lifetime that actually did cross the the reality line there, but if I was in a padded cell and it was just me, I would still have the best day because I just I love being here and I I love and I mean there's still you know like gravity, taxes, neighbors, death, you know. <laughs> I think the game is rigged, but Still, I like the game. I, I love I love being here. I love being in form. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's just a natural tarot and reading and sensing in other ways besides the linear way are just, you know, the ways I love life. And you, you mentioned when you were in theater about acting out or bringing to life myths. What's the... What's the importance and the role of myth that it plays both in your life? And what do you think the importance and role is for myth in the lives of people in general? Well, you know, to me, we are this odd combination of spirit, human, um, and animal, if you want to even go further. So spirit, human, animal, we're kind of weird critters. And to me, myth is is the spirit part of that. It's the bigger story. It's the story that uh, that goes throughout time. It, it actually creates its own energy. The story itself changes things. So I think mythology is so helpful for us because it helps us see ourselves besides this little human that will sooner or later transpire. Um and those stories are important too, but they're part of a bigger weaving. Not only the bigger story of our own life, but the bigger story that we have together as a group. So, you know, and on my website I tell people I'm I'm trying to help you find your mythic story. Not the one that we're making up, but the one that we would allow, you know, if if we, you know, trusted it. And I think I like the the way that you actually worded it on your website is um, helping people to uh, find their mythic potential. Yeah. You know, and I think that word really says it is that that opening up aspect. Um, And and the other thing that you say about that is what you're helping them with is to move beyond their limiting narratives for their mythic potential. Um, Could you maybe talk a little bit about what you mean by limiting narratives and what you've seen uh, what narratives that you've seen people be limited by and how people can recognize those for themselves so they can begin to start moving beyond them. Well, I mean, what all that just comes down to, when I just listened to you, I had this huge download, which means, okay, so, and I do give this scenario to m- many clients because it is a, it's a really great context to start framing things, which is the day before you die, not the day you die, because you're going to be busy with things. <laughs> the day before you die. I just, you know, just look back at your life and tell me anything that you would regret at that point. 
And that's kind of become my personal motto or mission. You know, I do use that when I'm making decisions because I realize the things, even now, the things I regret are the things I was afraid to try. I don't regret anything I even colossally messed up. I I don't. I don't regret those because I learned something from all of it. Or I was humbled by it. Or, you know, it showed me where, where my true limitations lie, which is always helpful. But, you know, when you don't try, you don't find out. You just don't find out. So the mythic potential is just trusting that, you know, if your passion and heart and curiosity are leading you a certain way, and it may not make sense, that doesn't mean you have to put everything down and follow it. It just means you need to put a lot of things down and follow it. You know, so I'll tell you, one of the, <laughs> as a reader, I really felt like I cleaned up a lot of messes by people saying, no, I'm going to follow my bliss. And they would just quit their job. They would just move to a different city. They would just do these really huge impulsive things, which is is totally cool if you're 22 and, you know, you don't, you know, you don't, that doesn't affect anyone really but you and possibly your parents when you're hitting them up for money. But, you know, when you're older and it's established and it completely uh, rips apart systems and families, it's like, no, wait, could we, could we follow your bliss but also uh, stay connected, stay grounded? That it's not just about you. I mean, it is about all of us. So, wait, where did I, I think, go from there? I got <laughs> on the wrong soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I talking to? Um, no. Um, so, yeah, going back to that, how? What are their limitations and restrictions? To me, the number one thing I see as a reader is the fear to take a risk. You know. And I think it's and I think it's it's that fear of stepping into what you call the creative unknown. Right. And you you say that what you do is creative advocacy. Um and, and maybe you can just explain a little bit what you mean when you use the term like the creative unknown. The creative unknown. It it was the most generic title that I could find, you know, because uh there's a lot you know, again, my generation, a lot of us grew up in churches and parishes. I mean, this, that's far different than the younger generation coming up. I mean, we knew our neighborhoods by your parish. You know, so that's the, the, that world is actually coming. I don't know if it's coming to an end, but it certainly has. It's not alive it's and vibrant. dramatic. Yeah. yeah. So a younger generation, they don't really, the terminology God or goddess, especially goddess, (laughs) you know, or any, it's like, I just lost them. They're right off the screen there, you know. So I had to come up with what is a term that would have a lot of power and attraction, but doesn't define what that is for them. And the creative unknown is the only thing I could come up with. And I love it because... A lot of times people just look at me and they kind of know what that means, but they don't know what that means for them. Right. And that's that's important that you know what that means for you because it's like, well, are you, what is your source? 
I mean, how how do you deal with source? What is source for you? And uh, I'm kind of shocked at how many people under 30, honest to God, has never crossed their mind. Mm-hmm. Not not even maybe once or twice, but um, and, and again, maybe- that that's sad to me because that's a that's it's it's feeling separate. It's it's right. not feeling that mythic. There's no mythic if you're just by yourself on an island. The myth ends right there. And I think that it, even maybe beyond just figuring out what that means for you, it's that willingness to engage in the exploration. Right. And that's what I think a lot of the people seem to be lacking is that willingness or courage or whatever that it is that's needed, that impetus to, to actually explore rather than think they can just look up creative unknown on Google and then they'll have the answer and now they can just get on with their lives. Right. Right. It's not an informational. No, I had a client the other day who said, you know, my friend, and there's a whole group of them, you know, usually when I read for one, there's going to be a ripple effect. So I'll end up reading for like seven yeah. <laughs> and then they go somewhere and talk about their readings with each other. And she said, do you realize I'm the only one in my group of friends that you read for that you ever mention Jesus ever? Like, am I the only one that you ever talk about Jesus? And I said, no, you're not the only one, but I don't get Jesus with any of the others. You know, not your group. You know, I would if I would certainly say something if it came up, but it didn't. And and they were a little, up, you know, not upset but confused because they because they should love him. And I'm thinking, hey, there ain't no should with love. See, those two things don't go together in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. It is love or fear. So, what is love to you? What is a real vital symbol? And if if it's not a god, if it's not a, a figure of love, then what is it? Is it trees? Is it the planet? Is is it your own heart? What is it? You know, but and I think it changes too. I don't think it has to stay the same. Well, that's the struggle for people is one, they think they have to figure it out and that's just what it's gonna be for the rest of their life. Yeah. And two, they keep looking for some sort of external definition or pointer or something rather than allowing it to just come from within themselves and actually be okay with what comes from them, regardless of what the outside may say about that. Right. Definitely. I'm, you know, when you mentioned about the creative advocacy, I mean, I, I didn't, I don't bill myself as a tarot reader, uh, because right away, um, I, I mean, that limits me. I mean, I'm not just a tarot reader, um, mm-hmm. that I do a lot of advocacy for people. I really talk about kind of creative spirituality, you know, um, like uh, how to create a spiritual practice. How do you get on that path? How do you stay awake? How do you stay in love with your life? You know, um how do you get through the really darker times, you know, and who's there for you and what is there for you? And and what do you do when others are falling around, falling apart around you? So it's it's torches, it's lights, you know, it's how do we how do we keep going um and or remaining 
who we really are instead of splintering in a thousand pieces. And there are times when you're just going to splinter. I mean, that's the tower experience in in tarot. It's like, sorry, now you're going to be in a thousand pieces, you know? And so how do you put that together in a way that's true? Um, And what I love about the tarot is the tower card is number 16 in the major arcana, which has 22 cards. And so it, it reminds us that that splintering, that falling apart when, or that feeling that our world just exploded in our face, um, it, it happens, but it's part of the process because there's still yet more to come. It's not right. the end. I was just thinking that the other day I was watching, I don't know what I was watching, but the, t- the uh, building blew up and I just thought, oh, tower. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, but well, you know, the foundation doesn't blow up. That like the bottom floor yeah. <laughs> of the tower would still be there. So maybe it's just about rebuilding or or doing something completely different there. But the foundation is still there. There's still there's still a part of it that was you originally. Right. And well, when we talk about the unknown, a lot of times people think of the unknown as scary because they think of it as you know, dark, or you can't know or see what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that part of your advocacy is helping to be a light or shine a light for people. And one of the the titles, I guess, that you use for yourself is seer. And I love that word, and I love what I think of as a seer. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about what that word means to you and, and what it means to be a seer for you. Seer. Well, to me, it's like being a priest. I, uh, priest and seer are both verbs to me. They're not nouns. So seer is literally seer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just see. <laughs> <laughs> but I see with my ears. I see with my hair. I see. So mm-hmm. it's it's a going beyond your eyeballs. And how do you sense energy? Again, to me, that being spirit and human is this unbelievable access to energy, you know, if we trusted it. So, you know, when I was thinking about Seer, because I love that. I love that title because, you know, there's been famous Seers throughout history. I mean, they've affected politicians. They've influenced writers. They've, they're kind of our human muses. So if that's the... I, I consider myself on their, you know, in their lineage. Um, I don't have to be famous. I don't have to be known for the centuries to come. I know I'm influencing people. I know that I'm bringing a new creativity into the world. And that is my goal. I I figure, you know, when I look at the the shape that we're in as a group, which seems to get just seems to be more frightening as we go along, that I just think to myself the thing that would turn the table here is imagination. Mhm. We do have to think about things differently. We have to see things differently. Well, that's where I come in because I'm really good at helping a creative person unlock. That is like one of my favorite things to do. One of my favorite things to do is work with a a, a blocked artist. 
and for some reason an ex-Jesuit. <laughs> I don't know why, but they're very similar. <laughs> I mean, and I do. I work with nuns. I work with psychologists. I work with, uh, you know, people that are really dealing uh, with people in very intense ways. And I can help get in there and they can unload, they can bitch, they can, um, you know, be powerless and that, you know, I just witness them. I just witness them on their journey and that that witnessing is seer. Seer is, to me, they're seeing something that is to come or to see what's really happening because both of them are powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that witnessing is something that we just, we don't get much of an opportunity to experience in our culture because our culture is much more about either being seen not witnessed, but just being seen, being seen. or it's a, yeah. yeah, or it's about being talked at and and having things put towards you, but not acknowledging or witnessing you in that right. space or in that equation. Uh, and when you were talking about um, uh, that 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 the key to a lot of the troubles of the world could probably be at least evolved um, mm -hmm. through imagination. It made me think on a very kind of everyday level. I, I feel like I experienced that a lot, like my partner and uh, of course, a lot of the people that he works with and everything work in the corporate world. And mm -hmm. a lot of times I will hear them talking about some situation or the way a person is acting or how they think they have to deal with something. And I will come in to the conversation and I'll say something that's very different. I'll, well, how come it can't be like this? And a lot of times I'm trying to just present an alternative, perhaps bringing in a more compassionate view of a person and what they did, or could you approach it this way instead? Does it always have to be about, you know, uh, the bottom line. And so we just ruin the livelihoods of this many people to lay them off instead of maybe finding another way to do it that could perhaps be considered. And of course, the response is always, well, yeah, that would be great in an ideal world, but that's not how corporate works. Right. And for me, it speaks right to what you were saying, because I'm like, well, then stop for a moment and allow yourself to actually imagine the possibility and potential of it working differently. Right. Rather than just buying into the way it is and kind of shrugging your shoulders and saying, I just have to operate that way because that's just the way it is. And I think that's what people do on a general basis far too often. Well, and I think that's why the world, I mean, we're in kind of a pickle now because those systems are imploding on themselves. Mm -hmm. So who is, you know, who who thinks differently? Who's going to be resilient here? You know, when I first started teaching, you know, I would tell, I would do, I, I was always good at doing visualizations. You know, I love, I love them. They're like adult daydreams and just yeah. doing it out loud is really, it comes natural to me. I, in fact, I almost feel like I'm on a bus and all of my students are in the bus, and, but I'm up by the bus driver and I only see something about three minutes before they do. <laughs> So the bus driver's like, okay, this is a pyramid of gizma. You know, then I will say, you know, so I'm following, you know, the voice that's coming through. And I remember after we did this really cool visualization of being the fool, I just let them walk up the cliff and there's the edge of the cliff and there's someone at the edge of the cliff and that person just looks at him and then steps off. 
And it was always fascinating to talk to everyone about who they actually saw on the edge of the cliff to step off. Uh, a lot of times children, which really, I, that always impressed me. I, I never thought of the fool necessarily as a young person until, you know, I just started playing with it a lot with different groups of people. Um, but I remember one of the students just said, okay, so this is basically, this is just your imagination then, right? And I said, um, yeah, when did that get to be just your imagination? Yeah. What happened there? And I said, you know what it is? It is just your imagination, except for there's a really long corridor right after that door that you open, and it's somewhere off to the left. That's all I can tell you. Just keep walking. There's a lot more doors after the imagination door is opened. You know, and that that's the seer. That's the way you can sense things but stay grounded. Um, and, and I think that maybe more people could kind of unlock their seership ability if they would drop that word from their vocabulary of just. Just. Because when they say it's just my imagination, or it reminds me because there's a lot of phrases like, well, you could do that, but you're just a girl. Right. Or you're just... Uh, you're just a high school graduate, right. as if that somehow means then don't go after something that supposedly is beyond somebody who only has a high school degree. And so I think if we drop the word just, we suddenly drop our verbiage of limitation. Right. Because if we just said that was my imagination rather than just my imagination, it means, oh, and that was amazing what my imagination just did. And it makes me want to do more with it and see where else it'll take me rather than somehow that was limited simply because it was my imagination and not something more or else or whatever right. that word is supposed to imply. And I think that's why the older I've gotten, the more I'm drawn to theater and authentic movement and different forms of storytelling about tarot, about mythology, about uh, bigger energies, uh, because they're forms. They're these beautiful ways of expressing that imagination that are oftentimes nonverbal. I mean, that's a that's one of the reasons I love tarot of over other tools. It's it's actually a very it's all image. It's just image based, and to me, as a choreographer and a dancer, it's a perfect marriage. It also really and it also really encourages interactivity with yeah. the person getting the reading because a lot of the other tools, if you think of like astrology or even a psychic, quote unquote, that a lot of people would think of very traditionally, mm -hmm. um, those are things where it's all based on the knowledge that's in the head of the reader. The astrologer knows how to look at the chart and how to interpret the symbols and what's going on there. But the person who doesn't have any astrology knowledge can't do that. They can't look at that chart with them and say, well, but what I'm seeing when this planet is here is this. Or a psychic is just, I'm going to tell you what you know, images or information is coming to me. But the person receiving that has no way to be part of that process. They're just on the receiving end. Whereas oh, Tarot... Yeah is this great visual where it's not only the reader who says, when I look at this card, either here's what I'm seeing or this is what this means to me, you can then immediately turn around to the person who's getting the reading and say, now, what do you see in this image? And it's one of the few tools that really allows for and encourages that kind of interactivity and participation on the reader's part. Right. 
You know, although I got to tell you, I still think a lot of people are are amazingly passive when it comes to magic. Oh, like it's something to be done to them. Yeah, or for them. them. Yeah, exactly, or for them. You know, and it's kind of well, what activates yours? You know, what where, you know, what what really um, triggers. Because there are times, too, when somebody sits, <laughs> this is still kind of odd for me, but it's also helpful, is that, you know, I'll ground with somebody, you know, sitting at my table. We'll we'll put our hands on the deck after they pick one and just go into this deep grounding. And then I tell them, you know, I'm going to keep my eyes closed, but you go ahead and open your eyes if you want while you shuffle the deck or mix the deck up any way you want. And there's times when people start crying then. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, it's weeping. I can tell the difference between crying and weeping. And weeping is, oh my God, I forgot how to feel this. Or I never thought, or I didn't think I'd feel this again. Of being witnessed or being in sacred space, being held, being seen, being heard. I mean, we're losing some of those really incredible gifts for each other. It's changing. It's changing because of of technology and speed and, and, you know, the way, well, I almost want to say corruption. I mean, I do think middle class is working harder and harder and harder with less to show for it. So it's also fatigue. And um, there's a lot of people I don't think are morons or just shut down. I think they're worn out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the importance, like you were saying, of the space that we create for people. Because probably one of the aspects that it's doing is it's setting a space where people have the opportunity, even for a moment, to come back into connection with their their true spirit. Yeah. Uh, Because we, we live so much outwardly and this kind of space that that it sounds like you create as well as I try to create it and any good reader of any sort I would hope would try to create is a space that is conducive to that and even without the the client having to do much effort it's just because we have set and created and supported and maintained that space for that to happen easily right and it And it makes me think that from what you said before, that also what people forget is that we are both spirit and body and human. Right. Um, and, and in this time of year, you know, with Halloween coming up and everything, we often hear like the veil is thinnest at this time of the year and that this is when everybody wants to contact the spirit world and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And people come to psychics or mediums or whoever to to say, you know, can you connect me with a spirit. And I always want to remind people like, but you are spirit. So it's not like you need someone or something else to connect with that because you're already connected to that realm. You're just not recognizing it in yourself. And, um, and I know that you have also done work in that spirit realm, I guess you could say. Um, And so I'm curious, especially because it's that time of year. And a lot of times people are very curious, what's been your experience with that how have you experienced the the other side quote unquote and do you find that there are 
different kinds of spirits and energies and deities and entities there? Or do you feel like it's all kind of one thing that we're tapping into when we are tapping into spirit communication of some sort? Well, when I um, when I really listen to wiser people than myself, I'm thinking, holy buckets, I'm... <laughs> I'm scratching surface here. So just keep that in mind. I'm scratching surface. But, um, you know, I remember when I was a younger reader, I would be like, I want that one angel named Rose to talk to me, and then I channel her, and then I don't have to worry about it. And, you know, so I did this deep meditation where whenever I really want answers, I go into this mansion. And, you know, I love that saying that there are many mansions I forget. Yeah, I love the saying and I can't remember it. Um, Every soul has a mansion or something. I don't care. I have my own mansion. (laughs) You know, I go into the mansion. So I go into the mansion, which is my soul, and I find the room of whatever I'm wanting to find out. So what I wanted to find out that meditation was who is my guide, which is like a huge question with a lot of people who is my guide you know and so i saw the light coming out from under the door i went oh for sure that's the room right so i opened the room up and there's nothing but a coat rack with lots of costumes and i went okay funny so what's this mean guys you know it's like so i just sat at the table and waited for someone to show up no one showed up and I just went deeper and deeper, and they said, and the, the the message I got was, listen, you know, this is love. The way that you're working is love. It is about love. We will take any form that you need to be comfortable and to trust us. So what do you want us to wear? And when I knew that that's what it was, that they would put on a costume for me, I just said, don't bother. Hmm. Although there are times when I do want the costume, you know, when I'm under crisis or I'm really praying for, I need to know someone heard me and I need them to shake their head. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I will tell them, please put on the costume because <laughs> I need to see this. I need to feel that I'm actually talking to perhaps an invisible giant because that's what I need right now. I need a giant. You know, so again, to me, it is, it's fluid. There is no set. You know, when it comes to different beings and entities, I think, you know, I talk about uh, the difference for me, at least this is where, where I am right now. This may change and it has changed over time. But I make a huge, I can feel a huge difference between what I call spirits and ghosts. Ghosts to me are human beings that died and they're hanging around. And not for good reasons either. I mean, like they're hanging around because they're afraid to go over to the other side or whatever. It it doesn't matter. They're just not going over. And their energy feels so much different than spirits who are either humans that died, have gone over, and can come back easily, come back and forth. Or spirits of the land, or spirits of the trees. So they feel very different. They feel uh, more whole, more organic, more secure. I always feel, I can tell a ghost is in a room when I feel like I'm with an alcoholic and I can't see them. 
Because that's what they feel like. It's all about them and what they drank last night. You know, my God, it's about me. And then, uh, you know, you're funny. And it's like, yeah, and you're not. (laughs) 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 I'm not saying all alcoholics are like that. I'm just saying that the alcoholic that irritates the shit out of me, it's all about them. You know, and and that's, that's kind of what I never feel that way with a spirit. It's it's not always about them. It's you know, first of all, they usually identify themselves quickly if it's spirit. But I would I tell clients, listen, if it feels icky to you and it's not just you freaking out, then it could possibly be a ghost and don't deal with it. Or deal with it and say, Go away. Mm-hmm. But spirit's different. I mean, spirit is you might still sense something, a sense of presence, but it's it's respectful. Is the best way I could put it. It's a, a respectful interchange. Well, most of the time, you know, like so how I, I read for a client, and she wanted, of course, the big thing for a lot of people is to read for friends or parents that have passed over or siblings yeah. that have passed over. And her dad walked into the room, smoking a cigar, and he goes, "Oh, for Christ's sake, a terror reading." <laughs> <laughs> and I said. Excuse me, sir. I can hear you. You know, and, and he was like, "Holy crap!" You know, and I said, "I know, I know. It's weird, and I don't know how this works. So just go along with me, okay? Because we have a few questions." So you know, he relaxed and he answered the questions, and then he left. But you know, I I will have people that will call now and just say, "I just really want. Do you, I just want." you to talk about my dad who passed over and that's all I want for the whole hour. And I'm like, no, I'm not your girl. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, it's never just about somebody who's passed over. It's always about your life and the influence they had on it and how they're trying to help you with your life. A lot of them, you know, try to keep anyone that's passed over, especially around Halloween. I mean, that. That is like a human reunion. <laughs> like everybody's on the planet then, you know, and it's kind of cool. But it's like not if you're going to approach it like some seventh grader who's afraid that something might happen, you know, and it's like, please, we're all going to die. That is actually something to be afraid of, not talking to yeah. someone who's dead. That's uh, and. and- uh, when was it, what was it that kind of um, brought about your awareness of being able to access, communicate with, interact with uh, that spirit side of uh, life? Well, you know, my first, I always, you know, the first response I have to that question is always, um, I never, I never forgot it. You know, like I never fell. Like I had a really good friend, Dennis, who's Passover, but my best, best, my Anam Kara, he was my best friend. He still is. Um, and I had asked him when he realized that he knew he was, you know, when he came out of the closet. You know, and he said, I, I never went in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's exactly the way I feel spiritually. Like, I never actually had to come out of a closet. 
I, I never really, you know, it wasn't like shocking that I found out how I really see things or hear things because I never stopped seeing or hearing them. I, my very, very first memory, and this one was kind of weird, but my first memory, I think I was about, I want to say six, six or seven, and I was brushing my teeth and looking in the bathroom mirror and and brushing my teeth and just whoopity you and it was a summer day and you know it was just another thing and i for some reason really <laughs> started looking into my eyes and the more i looked into my eyes the more i realized what the hell did i just do what did i do and i thought okay who's talking right now and then i thought i'm a girl i'm here i'm in america what Oh my God! You know, it was like it was like an actress that finally realized what her role was. It it tripped me up, man. I just and I talked to people, my mom, and, and no one knew what I was talking about. They had no idea what I was talking about. But it was my spirit was recognizing my human. It was as if my human was seeing my spirit for the first time. Oh yeah. And vice versa. Like my spirit was going, really? You pick this? <laughs> it's just, oh, not that it was it's bad, like, but it was like. It, it's, like when Doctor Who re, it's like when Doctor Who regenerates. Exactly. And he always has to, it was, he always finds a mirror and it's like, oh. <laughs> exactly. And I was really, after that, I just didn't question as much. Because I just, I knew I was visiting. I mean, I knew in that moment it was like, holy jeebus, I am visiting here, you know, so I just, I guess I'll go along for the ride. So that kind of set uh, uh, a lot of motion. And did you, did you maintain um, working with that and developing that and even using that with other people for all of your life up to this point, or did that fall well, that, away? Well, that quickly back? went into dancing and theater. So, I mean, that was just perfect because you take on a role. Mm-hmm. You you become the music. So I, I, I was free to become whatever spirit or energy wanted to flow through. You know, another, the first time I shapeshifted was, I, you know, we were in the alleyway and it was cold and they, the nun wouldn't let us in yet. <laughs> we were waiting for her to ring, the, blow the whistle so that we could go inside because it was freezing. And I only had my uniform jacket on. I was like first grade or somewhere shortly after the bathroom episode. And I was, I thought, holy crap, I got to do something to stay warm. So I started pretending I was like this big white horse. And I was a stallion, you know, and I was like running up and down the alley and all these, all my girlfriends started, they were my horse troop, like they became horses. And I'm telling you, I've, I went off. I mean, I could feel my mane and I could feel big nostrils. I just, I got, I didn't know where I was when she blew the whistle. I, I was like, what the hell just happened? You know, so that's. Yeah. But I had dance, luckily. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have dance. I think maybe that's where a lot of us just shut down. Because after kindergarten, it seems like art is taken away. 
It's like, okay, now you stop singing, dancing, doing poetry, and just expressing the world from your point of view. Just sit in your chairs. We're getting you ready for the corporate world. And it kind of takes away that permission to try on a different skin, try on a different yeah. role, see what it's like to be this or to move or act this way in the world, which right. as a dancer or an actor, you kind of get that chance to do, even if it's within the world of the theater, but you right. still are having that chance to step outside of yourself and see what it's like to be someone or something else. Right. Um, play. And 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 speaking of dance, now the term you use that you do with people is authentic movement. Mm-hmm. Um, could you just explain a little bit what you mean by authentic movement, if that's different from dance? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, is it from the 60s or 50s? It's a form that started in California was an ex-Martha Graham dancer. She was actually thrown out of Martha's dance troupe. So she went to California because... She didn't agree with Martha, so that's not something you did <laughs> and survive. <laughs> so she like, and believe me, I've had a long line of choreographers like that. So she went to California and was surrounded by a lot of Jungian psychologists and realized that words are so easy to manipulate, but your body almost never lies. So she came up with a form where literally, it's just a very simple form, where you move, you're either a mover or you are a witness. So you're either sitting there or you're moving. But if you move, there's no music, there's no sound. You close your eyes and you do whatever your body wants to do. Not your heart, not your head, your body. So if that means you stand there and do nothing for 15 minutes and then the bell rings, that's what you do. But it's kind of amazing what our bodies will do if you just gave them the permission. And it's usually moving slowly. You have to open your eyes so you don't bump into other people if you're doing something more fast or or rapid or normal rhythm. But a lot of times it's about getting really quiet and going deeper in. Then you sit down with the witnesses and the mover gives their feedback about their experience, and if they want the witnesses' feedback, they'll ask for it. And I've been doing this with a peer group. I do it every Monday, and I've been doing it for about nine years now. And I think it has single-handedly showed me how to witness energy better, mainly because I can't talk. Mm. And sometimes you witness people and there's all these epiphanies you have. And if that mover says, I don't want any feedback, you got to let it go. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of tarot readers tend to get really, we're kind of uber communicators. So it's really hard for us to not tell people what we're seeing. (laughs) Right. And so that's that's really rounded a lot of edges for me. But it's also my body was finally able to start telling me what its wisdom was, not what I was putting into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could be and a I, channel. And I think that when you said, you know, being a witness and having all of these epiphanies, but then not being able to speak them if you're not asked to or given permission to, right. is to also perhaps recognize that, there it may be a lesson in ego in the sense of 
And I think that readers especially kind of can fall into this because we think, well, if this information is coming to me, then I have an obligation to tell people and I have something that needs to be shared and it's going to help them Absolutely. in some way. Absolutely. I and will maybe, be the wise one. Here. Yes. And maybe it's saying the epiphanies I've had, I actually need to listen to because they're for me and not right. for me to be telling this other person. And if they're not giving me or asking me for those, then that's because I needed to get them and I need to look at what they're saying to me rather than being so focused on how do I say this to them and get this information to them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, if I get, you know, I taught at Reader Studio. I was one of the major presenters there and I had so much fun because I got to use, play with this huge group of people and do some really, you know, weird I love doing really weird exercises just to get people to perceive differently. And I think one of the, if I get a crack at it again somewhere down the road, and that's just me imagining that there's really no offer there (laughs) (laughs) on the table. Hey, but it never hurts to dream. Uh, That I I would love to do an exercise where you listen to your client with your eyes closed without your cards, maybe your cards are there, but you're not looking at them, and really listen to them, you know, for like 10 minutes without saying anything, and see what would actually happen if you didn't didn't go into that neat little tidy place in your head that has all the answers. Yeah. And I do think a lot of readers do that anyhow, but I would think that some readers that are just starting or some readers that get in really, really strong habits, it would really be helpful to be a quiet witness because a lot of energy can interchange without words. And I think that's an exercise that even people who aren't readers can also put into practice in their own daily life in some way as well, mm-hmm. is... Be quiet <laughs> yeah. and just observe, Reflect just listen, and you know, close your eyes. I think it's it's important as an exercise that people underestimate because when you close your eyes, you don't fall into the trap of responding or reacting to body language or something that you might misperceive and you aren't paying attention to the words that are being said by someone. Uh, so I think that's something that anybody listening could certainly put into practice as an exercise, regardless of whether they're a reader or not. It could be in any well, kind also, of environment. You know, when, when you close your eyes, you almost go faceless. Yeah. So it actually takes away you in the equation. You know, it kind yeah. of takes you out of it, which is, you know, because I do, I meet a lot of really strong women that have no one that they can really trust because when they really open up, everyone fixes them. Mm. not witnesses them, you know, and I tell them, tell your friends, I'm going to download on you for the next 15 minutes. I'm going to buy you a really good lunch so you can just eat and enjoy. But I really want you to witness me. I don't want you to fix me because we're in this, you know, when I see that on Facebook all the time, it goes into fixing real fast, even Mm -hmm. if the person didn't ask for fixing. And it's like, to me, that's underestimating them. You know, so... And it, and it, and it, 
satisfies the ego again. Exactly. Because if if if, if the other person does something or puts into play something that they suggested as a fix and it works, Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, now I get the satisfaction of having been the one to help fix their situation (laughs) or fix them. Uh, And so, and and closing the eyes is uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of people because it makes them have to be inward. And we want to continue to stay focused outward because that way we don't have to, in some ways, be with ourselves quite so much. And that seems to be a very uncomfortable place for a lot of people. And so I think that that just closing the eyes in a conversation, and I've I've learned to do that, um, to make a client comfortable with that by simply telling them from the beginning. Now, (laughs) there are going to be times when I'm going to close my eyes. It's not because I'm suddenly falling asleep and what you're saying is boring. Right. It is not because I'm not wanting to hear what you're saying. It's because I'm going to be more deeply listening to it. And I have to close my eyes in order to be there with what you're saying and not distracted by something external or outward. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. You know, as you're really cueing people on how divine communication is different than regular communication. Right. And think in our society, we put a lot of emphasis on eye contact. You know, if you're speaking to someone, you know, look them straight in the eye and, you know, that kind of thing. And for me, you know, the other part that I tell them is there will also be times when I may be um, going to be saying something to you and I'm going to have my eyes closed. (laughs) Right. Don't take that. I'll just tell them, okay, you know what? I'm going to go in right now because sometimes the images are just, phew, you know, the story gets too loud. And it's like, okay, I think I'm just going to close my eyes and see what I get, you know, and I just, and it also, I'm going to go in deeper. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also helps me because I'm not seeing like their reaction on their face. So if I'm saying something that they don't want to hear or that is upsetting or that, or whatever their response would be, I'm not seeing that. So it keeps me from suddenly editing or worrying about what it is that I'm saying. Right. Versus I just say it because I'm not seeing that reaction when Mm -hmm. I'm saying it, which is also helpful to just speak the truth, speak what it is that's coming through rather than finding a way to edit it, censor it, or try to make it palatable because you think the expression on somebody else's face or body is getting tense or not liking what they're hearing, which means maybe I shouldn't be saying that for them right now. Right. Right. Um, So, well, I guess that kind of is a tip for people, but I was also wondering if you had a tip, a suggestion, uh, something that you could offer people listening that would help them to either initiate that connection or to enhance and, and develop that connection with their intuition, with the spirit world, with the other side, if we want to mm-hmm. use that term in kind of a broad sense. Just something that you would suggest that people could try, especially during this time of year, because there is an energetic aspect that allows it to perhaps be a, a little bit easier uh, yeah. to do that or to connect with that, you know, right now. And so if we can do that, then we can feel a little more confident going forward, continuing to do it. I definitely, yeah, the the biggest tip I have, at least with my clients, is just 10 minutes a day 
whether you call it meditation or sitting by a window watching squirrels or whatever that is, just 10 minutes a day, you unload linear life, all the shoulds, woulds, and coulds, and listen. You're not praying. You're not talking at someone. You're not asking for anything. You are literally listening, you know, because it will make your radio signal stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other tips is just to try to limit the noise. When you're in the car, if it's a long commute or whatever, you can listen to the radio for half of the time, but the other half, turn everything off. Start to get used to listening to silence because it has different sounds. So if you're walking around your house, a lot of people turn a TV on no matter what, especially like in a hotel room for some reason. And it's like, don't. Don't turn anything on. Just let yourself hear silence. Let yourself be bored. Let yourself not be stimulated. Because then after a while, when your system calms down because you're not jacking it up all the time, then you can kind of find new roads. Like, you know, I think I just want to write right now. Or maybe I I do want to meditate and go down deeper. It it opens up different options. Um, Yeah, those would be, that's usually the very first thing when I coach or mentor people. It's like just 10 minutes a day. And you need to know, like, you don't have to worry about the 10 minutes. So put a timer on, put it on your oven at work, you know, just something. By your phone, I mean, my goodness, you can just tell Siri, set a timer for 10 minutes and she'll do that for you. (laughs) Do it for me because you don't want to be thinking about anything so that you really get used to just downloading and being with yourself because it's just that effective. And I don't think most people, when they first start out, could handle more than 10 minutes. And for people not to fall into the trap of saying, well, I just don't know where I would find 10 minutes in a day. Right. And it's like, well... 10 minutes. Yeah. But but for me, I'm always like, feel free to make yourself a priority for even 10 minutes a day. For 10 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so as we move to the close of our conversation here, uh, there are a couple of questions that I like to ask each guest. Mm -hmm. And one is a question from a previous guest and they didn't know who would be the responding to that question. And then secondly, I'm going to ask you for a question that I will then pose to a future guest. Um, so the the question I would like to ask you is a question that came from uh, a guest uh, a couple of months ago um, named Kathy Keenan, and she's an author. She wrote a book called The Obsidian Mirror, and her question is at the uh, sorry <laughs> is what will be the next phase of your life, and have you planned it out, or are you just going to take what comes? The next, so the next phase, just that phrase, the next phase is actually, you know, my son is is going to be turning 16 next month. So I am seeing the next phase as 16 through 24. Um, 
in this next phase, I see myself making the best money I've made um, all of my life. I'm at a prime, and I need to ride that wave, you know, to really just be who I am, to give what I can, and to receive what I need. Um, and is I, that something that you're going to plan out, or is that something that you're just going to kind of take it as it comes? I think planning it out like a, an, a like like someone who shoots an arrow, you know, like I'm getting my bow and arrow lined up. I'm paying attention to who, where I think the deer are, you know, but I will certainly, you know, stay engaged with what the universe is bringing to me. But I, I am prepared. What I would love to do is, is write, I have two books that want to be birthed. I want to do more tarot theater. I want to teach and do creative storytelling on a whole different level for a whole diff- a, a wider spectrum of people you know i want i want to develop my movement my language as a movement i have you know if 16 to 24 is almost what 56 through 68 or whatever for me my body is able to do things now that it will not be able to do later and so I really want to develop my movement language so that I can channel, so that I can tell stories, um, so that I can get on video and watch it while I'm 86. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, I could shake this thing. I better do it now. <laughs> you know, and people really get weird when they turn 50. And it's like, no, really, 50 is really, seriously, that decade is when, I think, is when you realize, oh, Jesus, you know, I have some things going for me here, and I better use them. Yeah, I better yeah. use them now. Yeah, the good China. Let's pull it out right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, and then- I do I do have a plan, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be uh, – I'm going to try to stay in, have high engagement and low attachment. Yeah. And maybe it's having an outline, but not having every little minutia plan down to right. the very last detail. Exactly. Room to breathe yeah. in there with an outline. So, and my question from my next guest, the next guest you have? Uh, yes. Yeah. That would be up up to this point in your life, what was the single strongest influence or memory of knowing your true self? Wow. Well, I'll be excited to think about who I can have as a guest. That'll be the... Yes. I want to hear respond to that question. Right. <laughs> well, Nooch. Yes. I think we're done. <laughs> we are. Well, we're not done. We're going we're gonna to talk later. Yes, but I wanted to thank you very much for being willing to take the time to have this conversation and be this month's revolutionary guest on the show. You are uh, welcome. You know, I, I, I offer a thousand gratitudes and, <laughs> uh, and also for your assistance in the little technical hiccup that helped to make this possible. So thank you for that. You're welcome. 
and I'll encourage people listening to stay tuned. And if you would like to call in in order to get into the queue to receive a reading live during the show, you can Skype in or you can call 646-716-5510. And that will get you in the queue. And a little bit later in the show, you will be getting a reading from me, Heisey. So thank you to Nooch. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and we will be right back. Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows LIVE. I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. Your monthly guide to the well being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Food is alive. It is a being. It is a sacred being. Food is not just our vital need. It is the web of life. Vandana Shiva Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley. And this is Living Well with Linda. Today we will speak of keeping the body healthy as we watch the world around us spin out of control. There is a lot of fear going on right now about Ebola and more. The world looks to be insane. That's possibly because it is. So could it be that our government is lying to us? Could it be that nothing is as... Could it be that nothing is as it appears to be? Could it be that if we make correct choices, life around us changes as well? The health of the body and the mind are connected, as with all things in the web of life. The way in which to be healthy in today's world is to not partake of it or participate in any way that they tell us how we should be. It's always to walk the other way. So in other words, choosing alternatively for all things in our life, whether it be food or herbs we choose to take or just however we would conduct ourselves. This leads to health and well-being for all around us, including our families, communities, and indeed the planet we call home and earth. When the heart is activated and lives in its truth, choices are easy to make that support the dream not take away from it. 
heart knows. It always has. So what does the heart say and know? To live with it in the deep truth that we all know. When the heart sees and understands and feels and is allowed to be present and the guidance that we listen to, we make choices that naturally support life. So what are the choices that the heart would make for the body and for the earth? Number one would be drinking lots of fresh, clean water. No tap water unless it's from a tested well. We all know that there's not necessarily great things that run through our tap water, so purifying our water is, is optimal in this world. And besides, most of us are chronically dehydrated. Some say that the aches and pains within the body are its deep cries for water. Without water we die and so does the earth. And we must remember that we are the earth and the earth is us. So as within, so without, as above, so below. So also eat local, seasonal, and organic food as much as possible and make sure that the other foods are, are non-GMO, not too highly processed, and without preservatives or additives or food coloring or any other kinds of things like that. One rule of thumb, they say, is if you can't pronounce it, don't buy it. Get plenty of exercise because sitting for long periods, as we do today, much more in our modern world, um, it does much damage to the body-mind organism, especially in front of the TV or the computer. Lots of electromagnetic radiation coming at us and so on. uh, When we sit too much, we create heart disease and diabetes. The antidote to this is getting outside, being in nature, walking barefoot on the grass. It's called grounding or earthing. It supports the body in deep ways. By opening the energy circulation around the body, it sets all things right within the body, balances the meridians, gives energy, you pick up um, minerals this way, and much of the bad stuff, so to speak, energetically is exchanged with the good stuff, the way the positive and negative is set up between us. And I notice that when I um, walk outside barefoot in my garden during the summer, I do feel a boost of energy and a certain amount of clarity, and it's very peaceful. So it also, and a few other benefits, it thins the blood, balances the endocrine system, reduces inflammation, helps with sleep disorders, and the autonomic nervous system is balanced, and it reduces the effects of stress. So yes, walk barefoot. Um, Take vitamin D3. Most of us are not outside enough to get enough of this invaluable mineral that comes from the sun, and... Much of the programmed world has us believe that the sun is dangerous and we need to fear it. So nothing is further from the truth. It's just use moderation and wisdom when we're out in the sun and that we're there for the healing of us. It helps build a healthy immune system, which is all about what this post is today. For without one, all manner of illness will enter in. The body's defenses are weak and down. We don't fight off in the are naturally meant to do. 
So there are herbs that can help, too. Stragulus is a Chinese herb that boosts the immune system and warms the inner landscape. It's excellent. Oil of oregano. This is a very medicinal, antiviral, and antibacterial herbal preparation. It's an essential oil. It's to be used on the outside of the body with another lubricant such as coconut oil. A little bit of that and the oil to rub it in, not to put it directly on the skin. But it soaks in uh, through the skin and goes to work that way. And I found that when I used this essential oil, I used it when other things didn't seem to be working. And it, it did the trick. So having an herbal medicinal tool chest is really important. Another one to add would be elderberry tincture or elderberry seeds where you can make the elderberry tea yourself and the tincture you just add into water. We made a, a lovely tea with elderberries, elderberries, honey, cinnamon, ginger, and a bit of lemon. It's so good for you. You just kind of feel it coating and soothing your throat. It's another immune helper, um, both antiviral and antibacterial. Golden seal is actually an herbal antibiotic. I use it sometimes when I feel a cold coming on. It feels like it's going to be especially bad. Uh, the body takes it up, and I rarely get a cold. Another good thing would be uh, honey and lemon, cinnamon, maybe some ginger in there. That's a lovely thing to make. Also, honey is extremely antiviral and antibacterial. Before, in the more olden days, honey was more of a medicine. I think that that perspective would also help us bring the bees and everything back into perspective, realizing that they are offering us a healing. Uh, colloidal silver, one of the best things that's been proven that Oil silver can kill so many bugs, uh, viral and bacterial. It's easy and cheap to make yourself. I recommend that. Uh, so uh, uh, commenting on making it for yourself, it's about taking our health back into our own hands. We look into the world and see big pharma failing all across the board. Seems at times they know less than we do. Keeping up the immune system is the way the body best serves us. When it's strong, the body and its defenses are strong. It fights off the many things that can make us sick. Our bodies are the most amazing tools when properly fed and taken care of. It is a miracle we call life. Really start to honor it that way and look into the deep beauty and sacred reality that surrounds us in every moment through the gifts of food and herbs and other and earth beautiful way to, to live our life, and that boosts the immune system. Worry and our cells of fear, a way to program encourage us to be, and the evil mind chatter, our immune system is greatly weakened. Stay warm and dry using the warming herbs that we have spoken of before. It seems very important, more important now than ever. Taking the summer heat from the surface of body and putting it into the inner organs for proper functioning throughout the winter and fall. Herbs like ginger and cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, curry, these are all called for now. Add fat to it. We all need that. There's a big conspiracy around fat. In fact, there's a new book out called 
the big fat surprise, why fat, dairy, and meat are important in your diet. I recommend it. So as we bring the heat in, it's going to warm our inner organs. And so to make food choices around that understanding, um, as far as the fats go, good fats, coconut oil, uh, uh, butter, bacon, even if it's grass-fed and organic, up to 75% of your diet can be beneficial fat with protein and then vegetables and fruit. All choices must be organic now or we support the culture of death within ourselves and within the, without, and without the, in the world. So here's some fun food ideas for fall and uh, just food combinations that are present right now. Spiced kale and sweet potato salad. Winter squash and beef chili stew, Swiss charred fritters, curried chicken and veggies, root vegetables with garlic and onion, curried butternut squash soup, roasted beet and kale salad, autumn vegetable soup. And try a pumpkin and chia seed pudding. Sounds delicious. It's important to see that the health of the soil the health of our soul, and they are the same thing. Learning how to grow our own food is a challenge that we must all face. Take a permaculture class. Get involved. There's a new film out called Symphony of the Soil by Deborah Garcia. He made a landmark and classical, well worth seeing film called The Future of Food. The must watch for all who strive to heal the toxic world. Her new film is sure to bring new awareness to living in a world that needs our help. It's calling out every day, screaming now as the elephant standing in the room. The question still remains, will we heed its call? I see that life is calling out to each of us right now. It's kicking the butts of many as it seeks to right itself. People are being asked to get it together, clean up their acts clean up our act, because I feel there's a big change coming, and it's coming within and without. Both the collapse of the industrial civilization continues on its path. It's already happening, either we get on board or not, which is we are all having to make at this deep juncture in time. Please be part of the solution. Look within. Feel the false concepts we all carry and find your heart and take action. When the heart sees, it takes actions that embrace, include, and welcome all into its arms, and the choices are wise. Hug the elephant in the room. Reach out. He wants to help, but we have to be willing to hear what we may not want to hear. Only by opening will healing happen. For we see our despair, and as we see our despair, we realize that it is our deep care. And when we share, we find others feel like us. Community and life offers change for all of us. Stay healthy and live well. It will save us all. The best books I've found on this right now and what we've been talking about, Collapsing Consciously, Transformative Truth for a Turbulent Time by Carolyn Baker. It is absolutely awesome. I just can't wait to go and read it every night before I go to bed. 
Darkening, the Darkening of the Light, Witnessing the End of an Era by Llewellyn Von Lee, a deep, deep spiritual man of our time who is looking out and saying, hey, let's get things together and wake up. This is what's happening. An Act of Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy by Joanna Macy. She is also a very deep, beautiful woman, an activist with a Buddhist leaning, wanting to help us see how changing our thoughts and our beliefs and looking at life from certain perspectives is what we need to be doing now. And uh, how do we open to that and see? Because at times it can be terrifying. But it's also so deep. So with that, I wish you a healthy time spent with family and friends for your well-being. Counts on it. Demands it. Wants it. Share the love with what we all need. And remember, it's only a dream. 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 Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at Linda at Prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L I V E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with High C. Enjoy the show. Oh, I can see the future coming to you. Crying the sadness in your eyes. And I can find a face in days I've wasted. Be around enough to feel alive. And when the Thank you.
The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring hosts Charlie Harrington and Heisey Lutmers. Using the tarot and other divination tools, join Charlie and Heisey as they delve into life, death, and everything betwixt, between, and beyond with a queer twist. The Amethyst Oracle takes you inside the conventional in order to uncover and reveal the strange, the odd, the different, challenging your perspective and offering you another way to see, think, consider, and be. Joining us, Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.